Well, good morning. It is really, no, this afternoon, not quite, but uh, it's good to see everyone. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, I think this message is very, uh, very timely for, for the time that we're in. Um, to start, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read something here. Uh, it's, uh, the, the title of this message is called Perspective and Where Are You? So, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about that and we're also gonna, I, I, what I pray is that as, as the questions, as I ask the questions that, that in your, in your own spirit and your own being that you, that you would ask these yourself and that you would answer them honestly. In his book, The Vision and the Vow, Pete Gregg, he tells of how a distinguished art critic was studying an exquisite painting by the Renaissance master, Filippino Lippi. I don't know if uh, any of your art majors have heard of Filippino Filippino Lippi. But anyways, this this, uh, gentleman, he stood in London's National Gallery, gazing at the 15th century depiction of Mary holding the infant Jesus on her lap with Saints Dominic and Jerome kneeling nearby. But the painting, it, it troubled him. There could be no doubting Lippi's skill, his, uh, his use of color or, or his composition. But the proportions of the picture, they were, they were, they were just slightly off. They, they, they seemed wrong. The hills in the background, they seemed exaggerated, as if they might topple out of the frame at any minute and spill onto the, the polished floor in the gallery. The two kneeling saints, they looked awkward and they looked uncomfortable. Art critic Robert Cummin was not the first to criticize Lippi's work for its poor perspective, but he may be the last to do so because at that moment he had, he had a revelation. It suddenly occurred to him that the problem might be his. The painting he was analyzing with clinical objectivity was not just another piece of religious art hanging in the gallery alongside other comparative works. It had never been intended to come anywhere near a gallery. Lippi's painting had been commissioned to hang in a place of prayer. Self-consciously, the dignified critic dropped to his knees in the public gallery before the painting. He suddenly saw what generations of art critics had missed. From his new vantage point, Robert Cummins found himself gazing up at a perfectly proportion piece. The foreground had moved naturally to the background while the saints seemed settled, their awkwardness like the painting itself having turned to grace. Mary now looked intently and kindly directly at him as he knelt at her feet between saints Dominic and Jerome. It was not the perspective of the the painting that had been wrong all these years. I I think we could stop there and go home. (laughs) It was not the perspective of the painting that had been wrong all these years. It was the perspective of the people looking at it. Robert Cumming on bended knee in a position of worship had found a beauty that Robert Cumming, the proud art critic, could not. The painting only came alive to those on their knees in prayer. So perspective, you know, there's going to be a couple of things that I want to, I'm going to point out this morning. And the first one is, uh, God is always at work. God is always at work. And there's, there's a scripture that says, but Jesus replied, my father is working and so am I. And God, God speaks to his children. We're gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna interject that in there as well. Uh, the second thing that I wanna uh, talk about is that God's truth 
is enough. God's truth is enough. And the third thing, we're just going to do some self-reflection, uh, asking the question, where are you and what, what is your perspective? You know, the, that could be said of, of a lot of, a lot of people with a lot of different things that is not the perspective of what we're criticizing that had been wrong, that's been wrong or that has been wrong, but it's the perspective of us looking at it. <clears throat> God is always at work. Uh, if you guys would turn to John 5.17. But Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. And, you know, as, as, I, as I read that, I you know, asked myself, is, is this enough to know that my father is always working and that Jesus says so am I? Uh, there, there is a, a Bible study that it was very popular a while back. I say a while back. I don't. Ooh, it's been a. It was called Experiencing God. I don't know if anyone here has ever uh, done the Bible study by Henry Blackaby, Experiencing God. I was looking it up, and, and it's, it says Experiencing God, and then it has a colon, and it says Knowing and Doing the Will of God. And I think that sums up, you know, that that uh, there's one thing to know what God is telling us. There's one thing to know God's will, but it's quite a whole different thing to know and do the will of God. I want to uh, go to Colossians 1.15. If you guys would turn there. We're going to read uh, verses 15 through through 18. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. You know, if God is always at work, and Jesus said that my father is always working and so am I. And here, I, what, what I notice that the scripture goes from in him all things consist to, and he is the head of the body, the church. So that had me thinking, God is always at work. Jesus is as well. And Jesus is the head of the body. So that tells me that as, as a church, as the body of Christ, that we should, that we should always be working. You know, and so I had the thought, what, is, what does that look like? What, what does it look like that, that the church as the body of Christ should always be working? And, um, I think this time, during this time, we had a, we had a good, uh, opportunity to see who we really are. Except those that were working, I'm sure there's some that they, they don't, you know, you say quarantine and they probably laugh because they've been working harder and more hours now than they were during, uh, prior to it. But for those of us, uh, you know, that, that weren't, you know, that, you think about that, you know, what, what have you been doing, you know, what, since we, since we hadn't been meeting, um, I shared in, in our Bible study last week that, uh, I remember, um, this quarantine in, in prison is called a lockdown. So, uh, it's, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of similar, but, uh, this, this was a whole lot better, but, um, our, <laughs> yeah, you share when you want. Yeah. And you can't leave the house unless you need to go to the store and get something, but, uh, but anyways, I remember during one of the lockdowns, uh, 
I, I had uh, started playing bass at the unit I was in not long after I got there, and so before people knew my name, they, they started calling me the bass man. Hey, bass man, bass man. And uh, I remember during this lockdown, just, you know, back to just me, myself, and my thoughts, and, and just thinking, and, and I had the thought, I don't want to be known as the bass man. I don't want to be, I don't want that, that's what people identify me with it. When, when, when you, when you think of Michael, that they think of, uh, oh, he plays the bass. And, and not that I didn't want to do or play or, or be involved with music, but that I think God was showing me and, and teaching me even way back then in the nineties that our identity that should not be wrapped up in, in, in what we do. It should not be wrapped up in our job. It should not be wrapped up in our ministry. Our identity comes from Christ alone. And so, you know, during this past month, month and a half, you know, uh, think about it. Uh, uh, as the body of Christ, what, what, what works were you doing? You know, uh, I know some, uh, some were, my, my wife, for instance, she was, she painted a lot. She was painting scriptures and that was her, that was her comfort and, and, and handing out these scriptures, you know, and, and, and uh, these these paintings, you know, so when we couldn't meet for for corporate worship like we had this morning, you know, did you worship on your own? Were, were you worshiping? Were you were you uh, were you doing what you do here on Sunday, Sunday morning? You know, for music ministry, uh, Paul Balash said that what we do on Sunday morning should just be an extension of what we've been doing all week. What we do on Sunday morning over here should just be an extension of what we've been doing all week, you know. Whether it's listening to worship, whether it's playing worship, whether it's just driving down the street and, and just or as you're working and, and listening to, to 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 worship music and just getting into it, but uh, you know, and and I think that that should be said of 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 any of anything that any gift, whatever it is that God has called us to, that you know, we don't we don't uh, go out and do ministry on a certain day, although you hear that a lot. We're, we're going to go minister to the poor uh, Saturday. Come join us. You know, that's just an extension of, of what they're probably already doing. And uh, there's a phrase and Andy Stanley says that uh, I, I think really summarizes, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Because I think a lot of, a lot of Christians, a lot of people have big ideas. They have big uh, dreams. They have, oh, if I had uh, enough resources or I had, if I had more money, if I had more time, I would... And they and they 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 tell about what they would do, but Andy Stanley he takes it further. Would do for one what you wish you you could do for everyone. And so, um, God is always working, and so is Jesus. So you know what what does that what does that look like? You know what does it look like for the body of Christ to be working? And and I thought about um I thought about my job, and I'm I'm going to tell you guys I. I believe I have the best job in the world. I absolutely love my job. Even before before I took on this new position, I loved working for the city. And let me tell you why. We're considered public servants. And I, I love the fact that I can be a public servant and be paid for it. And be paid for it, you know. <clears throat> Doesn't mean that I love every moment of it, but as, as overall, I, I really love my job. You know, and... and one of the reasons that I do is uh, being a public servant, it, it, in, in a way, it forces me to live my life like I should live my life as a servant of Jesus Christ. There are some things that I may not 
say or post on Facebook because as, as, a, as a local government city employee, I'm held to a higher standard than, than the general public. And so there, there, uh, it, 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 it kind of forces me to, uh, you know, when I come to a stop sign, I, I, I stop. I actually stop, look both ways, and then I then I go. And uh, like I said, every time, no, nah, you, you you there's probably been a, a time or two. There and there there was one time. This is how our mind can get so wrapped up in something. It wasn't no phone involved. I it, I don't I don't even remember know what I was thinking about. But I go through an intersection. It was in a neighborhood, thank God, or I might have, I might not be here. But uh, so as I go through the intersection, a car is honking, driving past me. What are they honking at? I realized I had just passed a stop sign. I, I, the, it wasn't a California roll. It was a just, shoom. and so um, anyway, so I'm kind of telling myself uh, <clears throat> I'll have to bring that up in the, the next uh, safety meeting. But um, so here, here's something that that um, another thing I, I love the challenge that being a public servant brings. The public expects us to do our job to the best of our ability with an awesome, happy go. Always, always upbeat attitude with humility. And this is a kicker for the lowest pay possible. So who's a lot, who's, who's ready to, to sign up for that? You know, who, who, who's, who's ready to, to, to say, hey, hey, I'm willing to do that. And so I'm going to ask you guys something. What percentage of public servants, you know, we're talking about local government, state government, federal government, uh, teachers. I don't know if uh, the health medical field would be considered that. But public servants, what percentage of public servants do you think have this attitude and this mindset. Just take a wild guess. Just, well, oh, I got one percent over there. What was that? Huh? Thirty percent. So pretty, pretty low. Kind of, it's pretty, it's pretty low. So we would say that the majority of public servants don't don't uh, always have the best attitude. Uh, aren't always doing their jobs with humility. Probably, maybe don't even like their job, and. Probably griping about the pay. Uh, as servants of Jesus Christ, we are to be humble. We are to have the mind of Christ. We're to love our neighbor as ourself. And if, in case you don't know it, that's two different things. You have to love your neighbor as you love yourself. The extent that you love yourself is what you're going to show to your neighbor. Uh, that's a whole other message another time. We are to love our enemies. We are to pray for those who persecute us. We are to count it all joy when we fall into various trials. How are we doing on that one? And we are promised that if we want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, that we will be persecuted. <laughs> Not that we might. So here's a, here's a question. What percentage of servants of the Lord Jesus Christ would you say fulfill all of these requirements? Ten percent. Anybody else? Ten. Let me hear some more, because right now public servants are doing better than publics of Jesus Christ. Zero. Oh, wow. So it seems that there's not as many uh, profession, professing Christians living as they should than there are public servants doing their jobs as they should. And um, that that's uh, that's not good news. Here's the thing, though. You know, people are probably the number one reason why other people don't come to church. 
But people are also the number one reason why others come to church. So which, which side are you going to be on? It's all about perspective. We need to be careful not to place our expectations on others that we don't apply in our own lives. You know, the, the, their, their social media has, has, has uh, created a, a platform for people to complain and gripe and, and to do that, to place their expectations on others that they probably don't apply on their own selves. Because if, if, we if we were to be honest, any time we have done that, we can look back and say, well, you know what, I've probably done, the, probably done the same thing. And I say we have to be careful because it's very easy, it's very easy to, to get caught up into that. You know, I, I know um, there's, there's a, the vehicle is, is, a, is a really weird thing. It doesn't matter if it's a truck or whatever, because people get kind of crazy when they're behind the wheel. And not only that, when you're on the passenger side, you get, you get a little crazy as well. All of a sudden, the, the, the person driving is like, they're, they're just, you know, I know, I know that happens with me and my wife. When she's, when she's riding shotgun, whoa, stop, you go, and then when I am, I'm just like, oh, good night. And so, um, so it, it's, it's, it, it has a funny way of, of bringing out, bringing us out. I, I remember a story, uh, uh, it's not about a vehicle, but it's, it's similar that, uh, this, there was a kid, he said he, uh, he grew up and, and he just knew, he said he figured something out that the parking lot, the, the concrete at the church, it was something holy about it. It was just something, he, and, and it was in the parking lot, he said that he, he realized. And he's, and, and so they, well, why, why do you say that? He said, well, anytime he goes when, 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 as a kid, you know, going to church, from, you know, we'd be at the house and, and mom and dad be yelling at us, get ready, hurry up, get ready, come on, we gotta go to church, and just almost, you know, threatening us to, and gonna spank us, and come on, we gotta get in, get in the car, and we're driving down the car, rah, 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 and they're just, they're just going off, and probably some throwing a few cuss words out there, oh, and he says every time, he'd open the door, and he'd hit that, hallelujah, praise the Lord, how you doing, brother, and it, he said there was just something magical about that concrete. I think there's something magical when we're in the presence of others. So God is always at work. God is always at work. Another thing, you know, God, is, God as God's people, we hear and know his voice. You know, if you think, oh, God doesn't talk to me, I don't hear his voice. You may need to change your perspective. Maybe you need to do what Robert Cumming did and hit your knees in prayer and see if God doesn't speak to you. Uh, if we can turn to John 10, and we're going to read verses 3 to 5. John 10, 3 through 5. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So he says that his sheep follow him, and they know his voice. So as God's children... God speaks to us, and we hear, and we know his voice. And I love that it says, in a stranger's voice, they will not follow. 
Um, there's another scripture I want to read in uh, Job 33, verses 14 through 17. Job 33. Um, for, for God may speak in one way or in another, yet man does not perceive it. In a dream and a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men, while slumbering on their beds, then he opens the ears of men and seals their instruction in order to turn man from his deed and conceal pride from man. God will use a dream to speak to you if he has to. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna touch more on that. You know, and not only will he use it, he, he does. God does speak to us in dreams. Now, not every dream is from God. It's not a message from God, but he does. Uh, you know, reading the Bible will allow you to hear God's, God's voice and will, will allow you to hear God speak as well. And um, it leads me uh, to the second point, that God's truth is enough. God's truth is enough. That is, his word is enough. You know, so enough for what? You know, and, 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 and studying and, and reflecting on, on what that really means. God's truth is enough for this generation. It, it's enough. God's truth is enough for the past generation, the, the older folk. And uh, I can say that because I'm kind of on the, I'm the bridge of the, the sword and the, the rod. So Shanna, Shanna joke, laughs at me because sometimes she, I'm trying to describe somebody. And, and she's like, well, who is, you know, that older couple that blah, blah, blah. And she's like, they're our age. I'm like, oh, okay. God's truth is enough for this future generation. God's truth is enough. You know, one of my one of my many favorite scriptures is John seventeen seventeen. Sanctify them by thy truth, thy word is truth. That's the King James Version. That's how I learned it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The Bible is the best interpreter of the Bible. If you're unsure about an interpretation, let the Bible interpret itself. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. You know, uh <clears throat> That his word is enough. Uh, doesn't matter matter how how far gone someone is. Doesn't matter where they're at, the state they're in. Uh, not meaning Texas or Oklahoma, but you know the state of mind that they're in. Doesn't matter. God's truth is enough. And, and I want I want to share just a little bit about um a little bit about my testimony that before before I came to the Lord, before I made Him my Lord and Savior, I was I was out of control. I was just, I mean, that's the only way to describe. I was just, I was out of control in, in any way, every way that you can think. And, um, you know, I had broken, I had broken about every commandment there was except for one. And, um, you know, I was, I was on my way literally to breaking, to breaking that last commandment, which by the grace of God, I did not succeed at, you know, but, um, it was this failed attempt that that, that led me to where, where not to spend ten years in prison, and um, in in jail after after being in sitting in jail county jail for eight months, God revealed Himself to me in a dream, in such a in such a powerful way that that I, I knew God was real. I knew He was love, but I also knew that that uh, I wasn't on His side, and um, I want to. I want to read again in um, 
in Job 33 where we were just at. You know, I've always, the 15 through 17, I've always thought about that, that God, God did that for me. You know, in a dream, he spoke to me while deep sleep was upon me, you know, while slumbering in my bed. And he, then he opened my ears and he sealed my instruction and in order to turn me from the way I was going to conceal pride from man. But I want to keep on reading. As I was reading this, it was like, it just hit me. That this is what he did for me. This is what he did for everyone that comes to him. And this is the opportunity he gives everyone. He keeps back his soul from the pit. Because that's where I was headed. And his life from perishing by the sword. Man is also chastened with pain on his bed. And with strong, I can't see. The tears are interrupting the bifocals and, oh. Man is also chastened with pain on his bed and with strong pain in many of his bones so that his life abhors bread and his soul succulent food. And when you're, when you're out of touch with God and just out of control, nothing, nothing is good. Nothing. His flesh wastes away from sight and his bones stick out which once were not seen. Yes, his soul draws near the pit and his life to the executioners. If there is a messenger for him, a mediator, one among a thousand, to show man his uprightness, then he is gracious to him and says, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have a ransom. That's what God is saying to us right now even, that he has a ransom. His flesh shall be like a child, shall be young like a child's. He shall return to the days of his youth. He shall pray to God and he will delight in him. He shall see his faith, face with joy, for he restores to man his righteousness. Then he looks at man and says, I have sinned and perverted what was right, and it did not profit me. And he will redeem his soul from going down to the pit, and his life shall see the light. Behold, God works all these things, twice in fact, three times with a man, to bring back his soul from the pit, that, me, that he may be enlightened with the light of life. And as I read that, I thought, that's not only what he did for me, that's what he does. When we turn to him, it doesn't matter where we're at, that if we turn to him. And I'll never forget that, um, well, uh, as I, I'm going to keep going, that after this dream, something inside of me, it was weird because in my dream, I was saying, I can't believe, I can't believe it, I can't believe it. And I was crying and I kept saying that. And I knew after I woke up, I knew that what I meant was I can't believe that I was saved. And I didn't even know what it meant to be saved, but I knew, I knew that that's what I meant. And that's what I, why I was saying that. And so when I woke up, for, first of all, I was scared. I, I didn't know what to think about it. Second, that I knew I had to get a hold of a Bible. Something inside of me just knew, just told me that, just led me that you need a Bible. And so I requested a Bible. A few days later, uh, I received my Bible. And I'll never forget the chaplain, the jail chaplain, uh, gives me my Bible. Oh, and here's a sinner's prayer. Pray that and mean it from the heart and you should be saved. And I remembered that in my dream that I was saying, I can't believe it, that I was saved. And so when he said that, I was like, okay, you know, that I'll, I'll do that. And so I prayed that prayer, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in him, in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because, with, because for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That is Romans 10, 9 and 10. For me... At my lowest moment, 
God's truth was enough. That, Romans 10, 9 and 10, that was enough. God's word, his truth, that was enough to, to, to do for me what I just read. To save my life from the pit. To, to give me light. To just change my whole, the whole life. At my lowest point, God's truth was enough. For me, in this moment, right now, God's truth is enough. So where we're at, where we've been, God's truth is still enough. Uh, if you ever turn to John 1 1. Probably people know, know this one by heart. Come on, somebody. You are one of folk. They've been out of practice for a while. <laughs> in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. God's truth is enough because God is enough. That he, he should be enough. He should be all, all we need. You know, as we were meeting uh, during this last month, month and a half, uh, I, I believe it was uh, Pastor Kevin had said, had, had a thought or had said something to the effect that if you, lo- you know, if you lost everything, would Jesus Christ be enough? You know, there's some uh, maybe here, there's some uh, watching, they've lost their jobs. You know, is, is Jesus Christ still enough? You know, I'm sure there may be some somewhere they, they only not only lost their jobs, they may have lost their homes, may have lost their spouse, may have lost their kids. I mean, there's there's been a lot of, you know, life is still going on and, and, and death still happens. And, and so, you know, think about that. If you lost everything, would Jesus Christ still be enough? If your bank accounts got wiped out, would Jesus Christ still be enough? You know, if, if uh, what happened just happened, <laughs> you can't go nowhere, you can't do anything. Is Jesus Christ still enough? I would, I would hope that we could say yes. Jesus Christ is still enough. So the the last thing, you know, I just want to, you know, like I said, I, I just let this just speak to you. Know, just where where are you? Where are you? And what is your perspective? What is your perspective? I thought, I thought he was answering me. I was like, all right, I got some, got some interaction going. Thanks, Albie. Where are you? Are you Robert Cummins, the proud art critic? Criticizing what you see because of your wrong perspective? Or are you, Robert, coming on bended knee in a position of worship, admiring the beauty of God's creation that has suddenly come alive as you find yourself on your knees in prayer? You just think about that. You know, that, that uh, for generations, it, it said, that, that, that author that wrote that book, uh, The Vision of the Vow, for generations, art critics criticize the work. This perspective was wrong. Colors, color looks good, but man, that's a, he's, got, he's got the wrong perspective. 
until until one was was uh, humble enough and had the revelation. I love how it says, and and then he had a revelation. It was never meant to hang in an art gallery. We were never meant to be friends of the world. We were never meant to to live like the world does. We were meant to hang in a, in a like like the painting to be in a house of prayer, and and not just literally, but what does the scripture say? Pray without ceasing. We should be in a in a. We should always be in an attitude of prayer. We should be in a. In a you know, we're not meant. So are you standing at a place where you should be kneeling? You know, you always have a choice. You always have a choice. But you won't always choose right. That's just life. You won't always choose right. You know, and um, I, re- I recently found the scripture that had been long lost in in a cave. No, uh, that a scripture that... It's really helped me when I'm at the crossroads of sin or not. You know, we, we, we seem to find ourselves at that crossroads a lot. Do I sin or do I not? You know, and, and, uh, I don't even remember why I was there. It was, it's, a uh, Genesis 4, 6 and 7. But you know, you know how that, how God does that? I mean, you can read a scripture a hundred times and then just that one time you read it and you're like, I just, like the lights come on. Genesis 4, 6, and 7. <clears throat> so the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and is desirous for you, but you should rule over it. That just... It, it, just, it just hit me that... I should rule over it. I should I should not choose the way of Cain. You know, sin sin lies at the door of. of it doesn't matter whether it's our house right here. <laughs> Some of us walk through that door and bam, we're already you know we're already messed up again. <laughs> but sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, and that's what got me. Not only does sin lie there, it is, it's just, it's, it has a just a, un, just a unrelenting desire to just consume you and overtake you. And then the good news, but you should rule over it. And that has just, that, that scripture has just really helped me. Like I said, you know, we, we, all, we always have a choice, but we don't always choose right. But we cannot, we can make it right. A brother in Christ, I'll never forget. What he said one time, he said, you know, when you sin and you ask for forgiveness, you're fulfilling God's word. That after you have sinned and then you ask for forgiveness, you're fulfilling God's word. What does God's word say? He'll cleanse us from all our marches if we confess our sin. And so um, be careful because sin lies at the door. And it's desirous for you. But we should rule over it. We should rule over it. So, closing, I want to. I want just want to go over that God is always working. Remember that God is always working. I love in the in the the Bible study that you know because I mean we are, you know how do how do we know how do we know you know you're in line at the grocery store, someone taps you on the shoulder, hey you know they start talking to you and then the subject church comes up. Guess what? 
That's God working. And He's giving you an opportunity to, to, whatever, whatever it is they need at that time, just let the Spirit lead you. God is always working and God speaks to His children. To experiencing God, to experience God in His work, we need to know and do the will of God. We, we, we need to keep that combination. We need to know and do the will of God. There's this, this wise man, this wise, uh, I'm not going to say old man, but uh, this wise man that is kind of like a mentor to me, said, said one time, the happiest people on earth are those who know the will of God and are doing it. Mr. Larry Brewer said that. He probably don't remember. He was, he was being led by the Spirit. And that's why it's good to take notes every now and then. And God's people throw out some, some nuggets there. But the happiest people on earth are those who know the will of God. And are doing it. That's uh, that's knowing and doing the will of God. Uh, second, uh, God's truth is enough, and God's word it's enough. Here, here's the thing, you know, you always heard, well, you know, with this these new these kids and and they're tech savvy and all that, blah blah. blah you uh, you you got to you got to come at them a different way. You got to you know you got to do this. God's truth is enough, but yes, you do have to get creative on how you on how you. Uh, uh, Give them the word. You do have to get creative, and you do have to think outside of the box sometimes on how how are you gonna how are you gonna get them to a place? Uh, how are you gonna get them to you know? Because it, it ultimately it is God that does the work. But uh, you know, you 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 can't call a group of kids and just start reading. You know, and and now Cain talked with his brother, and just they're they're not they're, you'll lose them after the first sentence. So God's truth is still enough for this up and coming generation. We just gotta, we just gotta figure out a, a an app that'll, <laughs> that'll get them hooked. And and the last thing, you know, the where are you? Where where are you? What what is your perspective? What is your perspective? You know, um, I, I see a lot of different things that, that on, on Facebook and just people writing that. We that one of the things that we can't go back to the way we we were doing things because it, it wasn't working. You know, if, if, if this did anything, it gave us a chance to, to slow down and to just kind of get, regather our thoughts and figure out, okay, uh, if you weren't doing the right thing, if you weren't doing what God called you to do, then it gave you an opportunity to say, you know what, I need to change some things. And so let's, let's follow through and let's change those things that we need to change, you know. And, um, you know, I know for me, it just, it just, um, I don't know, like I said, uh, it, it, I've been doing a lot of uh, woodwork and I'm just working outside, you know, and, and, uh, I'm ready to get back to work so I can get some rest. But, uh, I'm, I'm the low percent now <laughs> of the public servants. But, uh, no, but seriously, <laughs> you know, what, what is our perspective? What do we learn from all this? You know, what, what if we, I, I know one thing, I, I miss this. You know, I know, I know when, when, whenever we go somewhere and I miss one Sunday and I'll come back and I feel like I hadn't been to church in, in, in ages. It's been one week, you know, but, uh, and, and my prayer is, is that, that, uh, and that we would really begin to, to appreciate the little, the little things, that we would really begin to, to have the perspective of being on bended knee and seeing others. As God does. I love uh, this phrase that says, you will never look into the eyes of someone who God does not love. Oh, that, that should be enough to, 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 
you know, that, you know, you hear this a lot. Well, you know, I I have to love you, but I don't have to like you. Well, you know, if you look into the eyes of someone that God loves, how could you not like him? You might not like some of his ways. And you, you, I think deep down you, you, you will like him, you love him. So where are we and what is our perspective? So let's remember, God is always working and he speaks to his children. God's truth is enough. And, and as we continue on after, after this service, after this day, after this, uh, if we could ever get out of this month, <laughs> let's, let's, uh, let's not let this all be in vain. Let, let's, uh, let's, and if it sets us on a new path, let, let's do it, you know. Because God is still blessing and God is still on the throne and God is still king. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for you guys before we leave. Father, God, you are always working, Lord. And I love that not only do you expect us to join in, you want us to join into your work. That we don't have to do anything in order for you to be God and to do the things you do. But I think deep down, you want us to because it completes you just as you complete us. So, Father, help us to just always keep that in mind. And to know that your truth is enough, that your word is enough. So give us, a, allow our creativity, because you, you, you created us, Father, to be creative. And so allow us to operate in that creativity and to reach others through your word, through just what you do, Father. And as we ponder and, and, and just reflect on where are we and what is our perspective, Father, let us get to the place that we need to be in the Father's bosom, in your love. Father, just uh, instill in our heart to love people unconditionally, to be who you called us to be, and to begin, Father, to live out true faith, which is spelled R-I-S-K, that we would begin to operate in faith and take those risks when really they're not even risks at all. It's just opportunities to exercise our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.